DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time now to talk college football with Cam Meller, college football analyst and writer for SB Nation. Joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Cam, good morning. Good morning to you guys as well. So, Cam, does it feel like college football season has started, or does it feel like a string of week zeros, one after another, and it's not really college football, but you know it's going to be soon. So I would say weeks, I guess whatever we call them, week zero, one, and two felt that way. It felt like there was a trickle-down effect. And I think once we got the majority of the, those ACC goals back, it felt like one to me, at least I was busy enough on Saturday, that it felt like a full season. But I think the real taste of this season, I mean, it's going to begin absolutely when the SEC starts playing this weekend, too. I think that's when it'll really feel like you know, week one, and we can start getting these, you know, actually having rankings and top 25 lists that aren't just sort of, you know, product of a few teams playing. And, you know, poor teams that are in the bottom of the 25, they're still top, almost the top half of where they would normally have been. So it's, it's certainly been a week zero feel uh, a lot longer than normal. So I think the Big Ten of the teams, uh, conferences that we're going to play, you know, they might have looked a little bit silly with the idea of, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play conference only, and then now we're going to do it. We're not going to revisit it, and then down the line we are, do revisit it, and they are going to play. And so they've set themselves up to go forward, and I think that people can live with that. But what do you think is going on with the Pac-12? Because they follow the Big Ten in canceling, postponing, but now they're dragging their feet. So I'm not really sure what's going on with them and what's taking so long. Yeah, and I honestly don't think I know either, and I don't think anybody knows except maybe Larry Scott, and I don't know also if he necessarily knows what's going on in his own head. So uh, it's been, you know, for lack of a better term, a pretty bad show to watch unfold, and especially if you were playing second fiddle little brother to the Big Ten and sort of following their lead and then now not following their lead to hush to hurry back to a season and then you know not to mention the taking the bonuses and not and then furloughing employees it's just been truly sort of a miserable show to watch unfold and i just don't know what we're going to see happen here nothing would surprise me i mean we saw it in the big 10 where they said they were going to vote they didn't vote and then they voted in secrecy and then they a hot mic picked up on them coming back i we're supposed to have a vote on thursday for the pac-12 to return to play and then they're blaming the fires, and they're blaming California and the Oregon as a state and whole. It's just been truly a mess, and I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised either way. But I don't think anybody truly knows what's going on. So, is there a chance with the Pac-12 brand just getting you know damaged, trampled on, torn apart? Is there any chance that a Pac-12 team, when they finally play, is so good that everybody forgets all about that and just sees really good football? I mean, Oregon and USC would be the first two teams you'll look at. But is anybody that good or no? I think they would have to truly leap off the page good. I think it would have to be one of those two teams with the national brand that everybody's accustomed to seeing or or wouldn't be surprised to see in the top ten and stay there. And I think they would have to then whoop up on the other opponent too. So if it's a USC, I think they'd have to put out 50 against an Oregon defense. Or Oregon would have to limit a, a USC offense to you know 100 passing yards or something like that. I think that... It's basically a tarnished reputation for this season going forward, and especially starting so late. You know, you might have a little bit of recency bias, but I think it's truly an uphill battle in a normal season. It's even more. It's a now a mountain climb for a Pac-12 school to see or even sniff the college football playoff conversation this season. 
So Larry Scott was on shaky ground. Do you think this pretty much does does him in? I would say so. I, I think that there's no real redeeming qualities from how this whole situation was handled. And then especially the report about taking money and, and then furloughing employees. I don't think that helps anyway. And, and I, you know, one report saying this morning, actually, I saw a break over social media that, you know, he basically knows he's on thin ice or that he's basically leaving after this year anyway. So he just essentially doesn't care. So I'll take that for, you know, with a grain of salt and see what actually happens here. But I do believe that this is probably, you know, this is the, the iceberg that's appearing in terms of his his reign as commissioner. I think that it, it's, it's he's on his way out, yes. So assuming the Pac-12 is the league that's left out, then they can give one bid to each of the other leagues, which uh, the other four Power Five leagues, uh, which seems like the easy automatic thing to do with no non-conference games to weigh, you know, well, this champion should be left out and this runner-up should be in. But it's college football, and the logical thing rarely happens. So are we going to have a free-for-all when we get to the playoff? I think in this in, in any normal year, there's chaos. I think this year will ensue even more chaos or ten times chaos because you could have one of those schools, you know, in the American Athletic Conference that's going to sit there and have eleven games under their belt and sit there at eleven and zero, maybe even twelve and zero if they can get that many games on their schedule. A team like a UCF that just beat an ACC opponent too. I think that that's where we're going to see the chaos. I think we'll see, you know, the the common foes in there: the Ohio State, the Clemson, the Alabama. And then I think that's where the chaos will be. It's that fourth school. And I think in any year that we have now, it's it's finally that year for a group of five or even an independent to sort of make noise and cause that extra chaos by looking so good in their own conference and not having those non-conference games for these other schools on their radar or on their record that I think this is the year that chaos is maybe even times 100 compared to normal. How about the secondary bowl games? What do you think is going to happen to them? It's tough. I would assume that they're on a case-by-case basis. Uh, being a Floridian myself and knowing how sort of uh, blasé for they are with everything that's going on, I would assume that the bowl games that are happening in Florida will still go on. Um, you know, obviously the Orange Bowl is the big one, but those small ones, the Bad Boy Mowers, Gasparilla Bowl, I don't see why those type of things in, in the state of Florida or even in the South, those games will probably still go on. It's just a matter of how they do it and how they do it safely. But I would assume... You know, the growing trend in college football was to, to see kids sit out those bowl games if it means nothing for them. I, I think we would see a lot more opt-outs or a lot more sit-outs in those bowl games if they do go on as scheduled. Do you think we're going to start seeing players opt out of full seasons going forward, or is that just a one-off for this year, or is it a new trend? I, I, I'd hope it's just a one-off of this year, but I, you know, I, and I think that there's maybe, if you do see those situations, it would be a player... Uh, like a Derek Stingley from LSU, where everybody crowned him as the best cornerback prospect of his draft class after one freshman year, and you know he sort of had nothing left to prove after one season in college football. You know, maybe he's the type of player, but I think those are so far and few between for those players to sort of etch themselves uh, sort of as the best of their class after one or two seasons, even in college football, because so many things can happen. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it's just a this year type of thing, uh, and that we don't see that too often, because you know it's just it's the best sport in my opinion, and I love seeing these kids succeed. We understand that you're pretty high on BYU quarterback Zach Wilson, correct? Yes, I am. Probably a little bit higher than even most, even in Provo, I would say. Explain why. So I went back and I watched every throw possible of the kid's career. I love Zach, and I just think that there are intangibles that you cannot coach. There is arm strength, there is football instinct, and there is athleticism that is uncoachable. And so those coachable moments 
are sort of what people saw as the the scapegoat for some losses here. There were multiple interceptions last year. I do know that. I know he was battling the injuries, and you give the pass on that. But you know, I looked at those in, those interceptions he threw last year, and of the nine, there were seven of those that were not his fault. A couple of those were dropped. A couple of those, the receiver fell down. Another one was tipped at the line of scrimmage. Multiple moments of time that errors that he gets credit for in the box score that the general fan doesn't want to then say something else might have been at fault. I think there are moments in time where he has a certain Johnny Manziel to him, but he's also got you know incredible arm strength and great, great pocket presence that I think those coachable moments and those coachable interceptions and troubles that he's seen, if those are tidied up, this is a guy that's not only a great college quarterback, but also has a career in the pros too. Do you think BYU's offensive line is really that good and they got a bunch of pros in the O-line, or is that uh, more a Navy issue, the reason they ran over Navy the way they did? <laughs> it's, it's, it's super tough to say. Before the season, I would have said that they were very good and you probably have two or three pros on the offensive line. After the Navy game, I would have said everybody on the offense is go pro. Uh, but after you know you figure out and, and, and hear what Navy did and didn't touch anybody in practice, it makes it a little bit less... You know, it doesn't make that win as, as great as the box score probably says. But I do think that Brady Christensen has NFL tackle written all over him and Epi at center as well. And then, you know, I liked what I saw from the rest of the guys. But right now on my radar for the NFL, it's definitely Christensen as, as a day one or day two pick as well. And then Epi sort of as an early day three prospect. I like them both on the pros. Cam, we appreciate a few minutes this morning. Thanks for coming on and talking a little college football with us. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. I appreciate you having me.